0: If you've been enjoying AMSA AdLib so far, please let others know about the show by giving it a rating in iTunes. Just visit amsa.org adlib for quick links to our reviews page, or you can just search for AMSA AdLib in the iTunes store. And don't miss any upcoming episodes. Be sure to subscribe today. Welcome to AMSA AdLib. I'm Christine and I'm here with AdLib's Pete Thompson. Thank you for joining us today, Pete.
1: Thank you for having me, Christine.
0: What are we talking about today?
1: Well, uh, recently I had the chance to go up to Johns Hopkins and sit down with Dr. Paul O'Rourke and uh, Tyler Maines. Uh, Paul is a fellow in general internal medicine, and uh, Tyler is a fourth-year med student at Hopkins, uh, and Tyler is applying now to general internal medicine residency programs. Well, the majority of residents uh, in internal medicine programs will go on to specialize from categorical internal medicine residency programs. About one in five uh, will go on into general internal medicine, uh, which is a primary care Specialty, and Paul explained to me that you know general internal medicine physicians make up about a third of practicing primary care physicians. So that's an important part of the of addressing the primary care shortage that um, may be on the horizon. So here are Paul and Tyler.
2: My name is Paul O'Rourke. I'm a general internal medicine fellow at Johns Hopkins University. My major interests are in promoting primary care and medical education. And I enjoy seeing my patients that are throughout the Baltimore community here, as well as teaching medical students and residents at Hopkins.
3: My name is Tyler Maines. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Hopkins, and I am currently applying to internal medicine residency programs focused on primary care.
1: So, Paul, can you tell me uh, what, what exactly is general internal medicine? What, what differentiates that from other primary care specialties?
2: Sure, no it's a very good question and it's one we get a lot um, from our medical students. A general internal medicine really encompasses all of the primary and disease specific care for adults 18 and over. And I really think as a general internist we serve as the quarterback for our patients. We're there for them in times of health to help optimize their well-being. We're there for them through emotional and um, turmoils in their life and we're there for them through serious and small illnesses and ailments. And the other major thing that I think is um, something that I take a lot of pride in as a general internist is we're a leader of the healthcare team. We help coordinate their care amongst multiple subspecialists and other health professionals. And I take a lot of uh, pride and I'm honored to do that. What the kind of practice settings we we'll be talking about sort of down the road? Sure. So a general internal medicine, there's a lot of variety even in practice settings. Um, the classic picture, which is what a lot of general internists do, is working in an outpatient setting, working in an office-based practice, where they're seeing their primary patients and taking care of them as far as their preventative needs, as well as treating their illnesses. However, um, a lot of generalists work also in the inpatient setting as hospitalists now, and that's becoming a growing field. And as far as the classic office-based approach, there are people that work in a variety of environments that serve underserved populations in particular, like federally qualified health centers. Um, there are programs for specific populations, like for people afflicted with HIV, there are a lot of generalists that serve as HIV primary care practitioners. So there's a lot of
3: variety of things that you can do in the patients that you can serve. And I think a common misconception about general internal medicine is that that means you will be 100% clinician, but actually general internal medicine is probably one of the best fields you can choose if you are interested in health disparities or public health or health policy issues. You can be very involved in medical education at the medical student level, at the residency level, at a fellowship level. Um, and you can even do research, you can do clinical research and understand how health systems work so we can improve the healthcare delivery system.
1: Paul, can you tell me a little bit about um, kind of the distinction between general internal medicine but then other primary care specialties, may like a family medicine or?
2: Sure, certainly. So I think the one thing to say out, out front too, I think all of the primary care specialties are critically needed and each primary care specialty plays such a major role in our health system. Um, There are some small differences between each one, and it can be difficult to kind of discern that at kind of the overall level. Uh, For general internal medicine and family medicine, we do a lot of the same thing. Uh, One of the big differences is, with general internal medicine, we specialize in the care of adults 18 and over, where family medicine does care for patients' children, adults, um, and even get training in um, OB care as well. The one thing with general internal medicine that I think we um, think separates us a little bit with family medicine as far as the adult care is we feel in a way that we are kind of a, a primary care specialization for adults because so many adults in our nation now have various chronic medical conditions, uh, complex conditions. And we feel very fortunate that we get the training in our three years to become versed and have a good handle on all of the different chronic conditions that our adult patients can have. Because as, as our population grows, as it ages, um, there's so much um, multimorbidity out there now, too, that our patients are coming in with several significant health conditions and lots of um, social issues that are happening in their lives, too, which can make it difficult to manage all of those things. And I think, as, as a general internist, we feel very prepared to take care of the most complex patient um, and be their primary person and really be able to provide them with optimal care and promote their overall well-being. And that's something that I think that internal medicine does a great job at preparing us for.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit about, Tyler, why you came interested in it and you're heading into that field?
3: I think one of the first experiences that I had that made me feel like I wanted to be a primary care provider was a patient I saw during my third year clerkship rotation in internal medicine. And uh, he is from the East Baltimore community and had a COPD exacerbation and walked to the hospital um, and he couldn't breathe at all. And he hadn't seen a doctor for about three years and didn't understand why he couldn't breathe. So he came through the emergency room and I met him and admitted him onto our medicine team. And after talking to him, He had inhalers at home but didn't know how to use them. He had some pills but never took his pills because he didn't know what he was supposed to do. So I sat down with him and talked through all these different medications with him and explained why he was having his symptoms and how the medicines help his symptoms go away. And I saw a light bulb click off and he asked me if I could be his primary care doctor after that. And I said, Now, I'm just a third-year medical student, um, but that got me thinking that in the future that I would like to say yes to patients and could help him and other patients like him understand their diseases better so they could uh, improve their health. What helped solidify the decision is I took a year out of medical school between my third and fourth year. Um, and during that year, I worked in a primary care clinic every Monday afternoon, and that was the first time in medical school where I could see the same patient more than once. And I saw patients in healthy states, I saw them in disease states, I saw them happy and sad and everything in between. And just that longitudinal care opportunity really got me excited and even more passionate about primary care.
2: One thing that did mean a lot to me, at least too, which I feel like hits home for certain for students that would have an interest in that aspect and having longitudinal relationships is the patient aspect of getting to know your patients really well um and one story in particular that really comes home to me is one of my mentors here at at johns hopkins um, is randy barker and he is a a professor of medicine here who's been working at uh, johns hopkins bayview since the late 1960s um, and has been a strong um, advocate for the Baltimore population and promoting their health. And one thing that I've been so impressed with, um, with him is he's actually um, semi-retired. And we say that laughingly because he's still, I feel like I still see him all the time here because he enjoys it so much. But in 2012, he actually did retire from his patient practice. And these were patients that he had seen for decades now and developed relationships with. And he still tells stories about them all the time and has pictures all over his office. And one thing that really hit home for me and that I could really relate to is he mentioned that after he retired, the thing that was so sad for him there is he he knew he would miss seeing these patients that he'd gotten to know and love for so many years. He'd gotten to hear about their families, see them through really tough events in their lives, as well as happy moments. And he realized it would be really hard to let go and with a lot of them he asked them if he could still see them even after he retired as a physician just as a friend if he could just go over to their home or he could they could come to his house and just socialize and he was very clear like i don't want to be your doctor anymore because i feel like i'm you know you need to have another primary care doctor but i think i'm really going to miss you as a person and for these past 3 years since he's retired from clinical practice he has continued to see his patients as friends. And I think that really gets home at why a lot of us pursue general internal medicine for the patients. Because a large part of it for me was to, there are very few specialties where you can have such a close relationship with your patients, being their primary advocate, being the one that they turn to when they're sick, and also be the one they turn to when they just had a baby and they're sending out baby cards. And I think it's really exciting to kind of get to know people over time, have people that you can hear about their kids and their grandkids and their nephews and nieces, and really get to know them well and feel like that they're part of your family. And that's something that I think you can't say enough about, and you really can't put a a price on.
1: For medical students, how often do they get that experience? I mean, all of their clerkships are so short. It it seems like that would be pretty uncommon. Is that something that's changing?
2: or? It is var- it's variable, I think, the amount of primary care experiences that medical students get at, at schools across the country. I think what's happening more and more, though, is medical schools are having longitudinal experiences early on, where students can appreciate uh, the, the joy that you can get out of really getting to know patients over several visits and having that, that longitudinal relationship. What you see is there are a lot of medical schools in our country that have had specific missions to produce more primary care doctors, and they've put a lot of emphasis on getting their medical students out into rural areas, having uh, regular continuity experiences where they can get to know the same patients, and they are producing a lot more primary care docs. And some schools, such as the institution we're at now, Johns Hopkins, is actually they're creating primary care tracks with the idea that early on in medical school, medical students will be able to be exposed to this experience of being able to go regularly to a clinic, hopefully get to see the same patients that will see them as their primary caregivers and that they can be there for emotionally and for their physical health concerns.
1: Paul, can I ask, when, when did you become interested in general internal medicine? Did you Was there a particular moment or was it something you were always interested in?
2: Sure. No, I, I think when I was sided on medical school, I knew that I wanted to do primary care, but I wasn't sure about uh, general internal medicine per se. Uh, I was actually initially thinking that I wanted to do pediatrics and get to be there watching a child grow up from the time that they're born and and becoming 18 years old. And I think that aspect of general internal medicine, the ability to see patients grow and follow along with them and get to know them as the, the people that they are, was still a core value of mine. But when I was a third year medical student, I was very fortunate to have an opportunity to work in some outpatient internal medicine practices. And I found that I really enjoyed talking with my adult patients. And the complex problems that they were having to face on a daily basis, medically, socially, helping them kind of face those challenges and overcome them, I found very exciting and very fulfilling. And it made me actually kind of change my focus on from pediatrics to doing adult medicine because I think the, those kinds of issues and the relationship that I could form with my adult patients just appealed to me and, and
3: really sold me.
1: Uh, Tyler, can you tell me a little bit about sort of who for whom this might be a particularly good career path?
3: I think general internal medicine is a field that's very complex. Uh, intellectually, their, patients have a lot of problems going on in multiple systems, so you have to really be cognizant of um, how everything is interacting with each other. But it can also be complex emotionally and socially. Um, it can be difficult to navigate the healthcare care system. Um, so it, it really requires someone who's, who likes challenges and is ready to take on and own their patient's care. Um, I think what Paul said earlier is correct, that primary care physicians are the quarterbacks of their patient's care and really need to understand cardiology and GI and infectious diseases and dermatology and everything and understand how they can provide the best care for each of their patients in the context of that patient's own life outside of the clinic and outside of the hospital.
1: Is there anyone for whom this really
3: isn't a good choice? I think uh, (laughs) you have to really love patients and people. And you have to be willing to listen to patients, um, explain what they're concerned about, and really help them navigate through their physiological and uh, social challenges. So if you are more interested in kind of immediately um, going in and and doing something um, kind of in the moment, this may not be the best uh, choice for you. I agree with what Tyler has to say
2: too, because I think that um, really enjoying collaborating with other people is a a key element to really being a good general internist. Because as Tyler had mentioned earlier too, Mm -hmm. a large part of what many general internists do is see patients. However, Um, We do so much more than that and a lot of my colleagues are in interests of all sorts doing research medical education health policy public health and I think the thing that's key to all of those areas is the fact that Every general internist enjoys working with teams interprofessional teams and collaborating with each other and I think no matter if you're treating your primary patient and helping to coordinate their care among multiple subspecialists and their family whether you're doing a research project, coordinating with other public health professionals or other research professionals at academic institutions or government institutions, if you're doing health policy, working with um, governments, you know, governmental organizations or nonprofit organizations, all of these fields, there's lots of collaboration, lots of working with a lot of people and getting things organized, and I think you really have to enjoy that interaction, and I think that's key that you'll see with a lot of general internists.
1: In terms of fourth years, who would be sort of interviewing for residency? I mean, is there something in particular you look for in those candidates?
2: I think that the one thing that's kind of universal with all of the specialties is we look for medical students that seem to have a genuine passion and excitement for that given specialty, whatever they apply in. So for general medicine, for instance, as we would even talked about today, there's so many different opportunities and things that you can do. I don't think it has to necessarily be just the generic thing, as long as it seems like a real genuine interest, if a medical student, you know, shows that they have a passion for wanting to do health policy reform and making it easier for their patients to access necessary healthcare, or they have a passion for providing, you know, primary care back in their hometown, I think just having that unique, genuine interest definitely shines through on the interview because it feels real and it makes you memorable. So I don't think it needs to be something completely over the top. You don't necessarily need to cure the latest disease. But I think going into the interview and expressing something that you're really passionate about definitely stays and I think it makes the biggest impact. And particularly if you happen to be your passion is something in general medicine, letting that shine through because it'll, that is something that the interviewer is looking for and will definitely stay with them.
1: In med school graduates entering internal medicine residency programs, how are the numbers? Are more needed or are we on the right number?
2: Sure. No, I think that we definitely need more to go into primary care um, fields. And general internal medicine obviously is, is one of the major players in that, um, the numbers kind of, again, this is kind of broad numbers, but approximately one-third of all of the active primary care physicians in the country are general internists. So we make up a pretty large chunk of that primary care workforce. And I think the one thing that's definitely key is that we need more medical students who want to pursue primary care careers, like general internal medicine, but also people within internal medicine residency programs. And I think that there are a lot of really smart people out there at academic institutions who are trying to think of ways of how we can promote that in medical schools and in residency programs to have people kind of look at general internal medicine and recognize that it's the reason why I love it, too. I think it's more the people, the too. I mean, the, my ability to have long-term relationships with patients, I wouldn't give up for anything. I feel honored every day. And the ability to teach medical students you know, who are excited and residents who are excited I feel like every day I'm not really even going to work. It doesn't feel like a job. But the other aspect of it, which does make it so exciting, going to Tyler's point, is there's so much you can do beyond even the patient care and the education. General internists wear so many hats as health leaders, as researchers, as policymakers, that you have so many different roads that you can take. And I think we want medical students to, to be exposed and understand all of these opportunities so that they can make, the, make a good decision. And consider general internal medicine more than maybe they did in
3: the past and they didn't know about it. And in addition to reforming medical education at the medical student and residency level, I think we need to think about from a higher up policy level what. Uh, primary care physicians are charged to do. I think there's a lot of opportunity to decrease healthcare costs overall by figuring out how to optimize a primary care physician's skills um, and decreasing the number of consults and procedures and figuring out what are the best ways to use nurse practitioners and physician's assistants sure. and other healthcare professionals in this larger setting with the primary care provider being the captain of that team.
1: Is there a particular way, or is there a particular bottleneck, keeping that number down? Is there, Or is there some way we can kind of increase the number of students interested in, in general internal medicine?
2: Yes, I think that there definitely is. I think that we're already seeing a lot of promising signs now that more medical students are considering primary care careers. And I think this is for um, a multitude of factors. One, at a national level, too, with the Affordable Care Act, I think we're seeing as a country that... Even in our healthcare system, we're putting more emphasis on primary care and having, and we're going to need a lot more primary care physicians, and that those opportunities are out there. So I think that there are more people kind of looking into it. And I think from a medical education standpoint, medical schools are investing in more outpatient and longitudinal experiences to expose their medical students to general internal medicine and the other primary care fields so that they can make an honest and well informed decision on that path. Previously, a criticism of medical education has been that it's been very inpatient focused. And I think that inpatient focus leads medical students to consider more the subspecialties and the the physicians that are more in the hospital setting. And it's just been kind of a fact of the way it is that much of general internal medicine is outside of the hospital walls, even though we do play a big role as a hospitalist as well. And I think having more of those longitudinal experiences on the outside is connecting medical students with mentors so that they can see the types of careers and the various opportunities available to a general internist.
3: I I think part of the problem in terms of why not a ton of medical students are going into primary care is that there's a misunderstanding of what primary care doctors do. And I also think that there's an evolving role of primary care providers in the context of the ACA coming out. Uh, And medical students and residents may not be aware of what primary care will look like in five or 10 years when they're entering practice. And I think it's our job to both shape the conversations about what primary care providers should be doing, but also let medical students and residents know this is the direction the field is heading in. Um, I I think that a lot of people take it down to something like, oh, you just control blood pressure and glucose levels, um, which are extremely important, but there's so much more involved. And I think that there's so much more in the field that medical students are not exposed to. A common concern that I
2: hear a lot of medical students bring up is the paperwork burden that perhaps they you know, they see providers in clinic doing what they feel is a lot of menial tasks, filling out paperwork forms for their patients or calling insurance companies and things of that nature. And I think that one thing that's key and having more outpatient experiences that medical students can go on will help expose this is that The tide is really changing there too, that with the ACA and the growth of patient-centered medical homes, we're finding more and more now that the primary care physician, a lot of those tasks are being um, provided by other health team members. And they're doing that in order to provide more time that the primary care physician can spend with their patients and spend with their other interests. So I think that that's one concern that I have heard brought up from medical students a lot, as far as even a concern when it comes to lifestyle, that I think there is a great deal of change going on. And that will become uh, much less of a problem. And I'm already seeing that it is. Because with patient-centered medical homes, a lot of that extraneous work that physicians, as well as medical students, wouldn't really enjoy as much are being done by other providers, too, with our help, kind of an assistance.
3: So I think that that's we're moving on kind of past that, too. And I think, you know, some people are concerned about compensation also in primary care, and I think that things are changing with this too. I think there's two opportunities that primary care providers can um, increase the amount of compensation they receive. So one is learning new procedures and that they feel comfortable with and doing a lot of procedures that previously were referred out and doing them in-house. Um, a second one is uh, with the ACA and more of a focus on improving health outcomes overall. I think a five-minute effective conversation on um, your pills and how to how these pills are gonna save your life down the road. I think if you do that effectively, then you're going to cut costs dramatically for each patient um, because if they can control their blood pressure and understand how to do that, then they're gonna have less risk for stroke and heart attack and a few other things. Um, so I think once we start proving that more and figuring out how to teach that and be more effective at those skills, then we're gonna cut costs for the system overall and the primary care physicians should be the ones uh, receiving more reimbursement for that time.
1: Paul, can you tell me a little bit about what's, the, what's sort of the lifestyle like for general internal medicine?
2: I think one of the things that's very nice about general internal medicine is you do have great flexibility with your career and your lifestyle. Many of the colleagues that I have um, have opted to work part-time careers, and I think the, one of the great things about our specialty is it's very easy to do, and you actually get a lot of support with doing that. Um, There's so many different things that you can do as well as the, the patient role that we serve, doing research and medical education, that you can kind of craft your career around your other interests outside of work and kind of designing a lifestyle that fits well and for family interests or other interests externally that you um, feel that you have an enjoyable life. And I think that's one aspect of general internal medicine that um, seems to be true for me when I, when I see my colleagues, that they really enjoy not only their time at work, but they enjoy their time at home, and I think it's something that um, you really can make time for both.
1: For medical students who might be at an institution that doesn't do a great job of getting them introduced or giving them a lot of background information on general internal medicine, where can they find sort of support or mentorship outside their own institution if
2: they need to? Certainly. No, that's a really good question. And I think that uh, for a long time, even when I was in med school, actually, and, and when I was coming close to fourth year and making a decision on where to go for residency training, I had a lot of difficulty trying to find resources out there to answer that question, because I was I was very interested in seeing if I could get connected with someone. And um, Just in the past couple years, actually, with the Society of General Internal Medicine and this Proud to be GIM campaign, they have actually created kind of a medical student community just for that purpose, that medical students can go to proudtobegim.org. And on that website, there are resources about general medicine. And there's the ability as a medical student to connect to an online community, that they call GIM Connect, and can find opportunities to find mentors. And learn more about general medicine, and maybe get um, connected with events, both regionally and nationally, that they can attend to learn more and uh, meet general internists from all over to see if that would be a career that they'd want to pursue and get more experiences. So I think that I would certainly encourage any interested medical students to go to proudtobegim.org. Um, it has a wealth of information and opportunities to to find mentors out there to kind of help with career advice.
0: If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe to AMSA AdLib through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating in the iTunes store. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself with help from Carol Clark. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Deborah Hall is AMSA's national president. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear covered on AMSA AdLib. Email us at adlib at amsa.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Improve your performance on rotations, provide the excellent care that your patients deserve, and distinguish yourself among your peers as a student leader in the social mission of medicine. Attend an AMSA Fall Conference and enhance your professional development by engaging with experts, clinicians, and researchers and topics that aren't well covered in the medical school curriculum. The first AMSA Fall Conference will be held in New York City on November 14th. The second will be in Chicago on November 21st. For more information, please visit AMSAFallConference.org.